So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages two years old through first grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. And if you're visiting today and you have kids in that age range, just follow the adults that are going there. The rest of you take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 2. And I want to remind you as you're working your way to Joshua chapter 2 of a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that's the offering that we bring before God every Sunday. We've made it possible for you in four different ways to worship God through your offering. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. That's quite easy to do. You can give online through our website, eastsidesprings.com. There's a box that says give. It's just simple as that. Or if you're with us today uh, in person, there's a box there in the middle of the auditorium. You can drop it off there. And if you're not with us in person, but you're with us uh, via live stream, we are absolutely humbled and honored to have you with us this morning. So I am uh, delighted. It's great to be back with you guys after an incredibly um, intense time of ministry in the Czech Republic and then a stopover on my way home. It was uh, delightful to be with my mother-in-law as well, but it's, it's good to be home. What I want to do today is for us to pick up where we left off uh, before I left. It was here in Joshua chapter 2. And perhaps you remember, this is when Joshua and the Israelites, they're, they're preparing to go to battle into Canaan, and they're going to, to take and to settle the land. It's going to be a hard, hard text to walk through. It's going to be very tough. But before they go, there are two spies we talked about in the first lesson here in chapter 2. They were sent on something of a, a preparatory reconnaissance mission, and they were aided by an inhabitant of the city of Jericho, whose name was Rahab. And so as I suggested to you in the first lesson, there's, there's two lens through which we're looking at this story. In part one of this lesson, we looked at it through the lens of the, of the spies who went into Jericho. But you can also look at this story through the lens of Rahab. And clearly, God wants us to do that. Because when you move into the New Testament, he brings up her name multiple times that we can see her and that she wrote the role that she played in the Bible story. Some of you should remember the song we used to sing, Faith of Our Fathers. Well, I would suggest that it could be and should be written as a song, Faith of Our Mothers, as well. Our Christian story and our Christian faith rest upon some incredible women here and years back. And you're going to see this, we see this through the amazing story of Rahab. She's honored, she is honored in incredible ways. She is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 in the royal lineage of Jesus. There's only two women in Hebrews chapter 11 when the author is saying, this is what faith looks like. There are two women there in Hebrews 11. It's called the hall of fame of faith. Rahab is one of those two women. In James chapter 2, as he's doing a similar thing in the book of Hebrews, he says, look at these two people. This is what faith is. She's lined up next to Abraham, the great patriarch, only there also is Rahab. Rahab clearly is one of our great matriarchs. 
And so therefore, because her faith is lifted up and said, I want you to see her faith. I want you to, to learn something from her. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in this passage and I'm going to share with you five lessons that we can learn about what it means to have a fearless faith. I'm not going to read this whole chapter. I did in part one of this lesson. I'll let you read that on your own or I'll let you do that in your life groups. I'm just going to work through it the various verses that bring out the particular points. I would suggest that the most obvious lesson about Rahab's faith in this story is that Rahab's faith was rooted in grace. I think some of our families have those family members in the history of our family story that are just embarrassing. They're the ones that when you talk about family, somehow they just kind of get left out on purpose. It would seem as though Rahab should have been left out of our faith family story. And for many reasons. First of all, as you look here in Joshua, you realize this is not a, an Israelite woman. She was born and raised in a very pagan city, a very pagan culture. Then we walk into chapter 1, chapter 2 here in verse 1. We're told that she was a prostitute. Or some translations say she was a harlot. Now some have tried to sanitize this story and say, no, no, she really wasn't that. She was, she was an innkeeper. But that just won't work with the language. She was something much more than a manager of the Holiday Inn Express. This woman ran a brothel. She wasn't just a sinner. <laughs> she was a professional sinner. Sinning was her career. And if she had children, I wonder what it would be like to go to school. And the question is asked, well, what does your mother do? That's kind of awkward. And then you add to that in her story and as you read on here in chapter 2, you see that she lied. She lied to the government officials that came looking for these two spies. They came to her house, and it says in verse 3, they said to her, bring up the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. And she said, oh yeah, them, I saw them. They're not here anymore. They're gone. I, I don't know where they went. She lied. They were on her roof. You can spin this story however you would like. She was being deceitful. So here's a woman that we know for sure broke at least, probably more, but at least two of the Ten Commandments. She, she bore false witness and she was an adulterer and God looked at her and said, let's go with her. She'll make a great matriarch in the family line of the Messiah. And then there's another little tidbit you wouldn't know not only she went to the Hebrew language. Her name in Hebrew literally means, in the Hebrew, I say that because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Her name in Hebrew means broad, wide, large, spacious. I mean, how cruel can parents be? She's born, they look at her, uh, she's a big girl, let's, let's name her Spacious. Your flaws, your mistakes, your physique may be less than perfect. But the Bible story, the story of us all, is the story of a perfect God working His perfect will 
through imperfect people. And that's because that's the only kind of people there are. So that's why you read in chapter 2 in verse 12 when she's talking to these spies asking them to spare her family from the coming destruction of the Israelites when they come into Jericho. She asks them to deal kindly with my father's house. And that word deal kindly, that's a Hebrew word. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. You see it throughout the Old Testament. It's the word hesed, which basically could be translated as the undeserving, steadfast, loving kindness of God, God's grace. That's what Rahab was asking you for because Rahab understood she was undeserving. Her faith was rooted in God's grace. And so we get the fact that when you, the, for, the story, story first opens, okay, so she's Rahab the prostitute. You get that, because that's who she was. But then it's kind of surprising when you work your way into the New Testament and you look in the book of James and the book of Hebrews and they're referring back to her, they're still calling her a prostitute. Like, do you have to do that? Why bring up the past? That's who she was. She's changed. I can imagine Rahab in heaven saying, could, could, could we just say Rahab now? I wonder, I wonder if some of us, when we meet her in heaven and we go, Rahab, oh, you're, you're the harlot. Yeah. I've always felt sorry for the guy in Acts chapter 8 that, that was from Ethiopia and Philip taught in the gospel and baptized him and we're told in the story that he was a eunuch and if I was that guy I would be going, do you really have to tell people that? How does it help the story? Could you not just leave that out? It is amazing to me the way the Bible doesn't whitewash the story. Skip Clark was teaching on Wednesday night about this. Is you see the story of these two men of God in a dispute. It's included in the story. The Bible doesn't whitewash the stories. But it shows everything. Warts and all. Closets open. Dirty laundry on display. Why does God do that? Are there any prostitutes here? If yes, God wants you to know that regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you're doing, He sees you with eyes of love. He hasn't stopped loving you, and He has an incredibly amazing plan and purpose for your life if you will place your life in faith in him and if that's true for prostitutes that's true for us all honestly that could be the sermon for today but y'all pay me way too much to have just one point in the sermon <laughs> number one her faith was rooted in grace secondly her faith was rooted in the unseen God you've got to see her, her expressions of faith here in this chapter, notice in chapter 2 and verse 9, she says, she didn't say, I'm thinking maybe. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Then in chapter 2 and verse 11, in the second half of chapter 2 and verse 11, she says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. This is a confident faith 
in who God is and what God is going to do. It's so confident in what God is going to do. She knew that God would have the Israelites destroy the city of Jericho long before the Israelites had come into the land. And so you're sitting there wondering, how in the world did a prostitute living in a, Can- a, a, a pagan land, where did she get such an incredible faith? She hadn't been to church There were no Israelites that had come in to teach her. How did this happen? Notice in chapter 2 in verse 10 we read, she says to the spies, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og. Her faith isn't what? Wow, isn't that? I saw this. That's incredible. Now I believe it was based upon something she had heard. And she hadn't heard it from missionaries. She hadn't heard the story from Israelites who'd come in teaching the Bible in Jericho. She had likely heard it from other pagan Canaanites who were anything but missionaries. She had likely heard this story, these stories of this God from men who had visited her brothel. And it was working. I mean, how unorthodox can mission work be? And what's fascinating, she believed in the story. She says, we have heard what you did in parting the Red Sea, what God did, your God did in parting the Red Sea. That was a story that had happened 40 years ago, and she believed it. And what's interesting is that the Israelites, the children of God, who've seen miracle after miracle, they stood, they saw, it was seen, the parting of the Red Seas. What more do you need? to believe in God for the rest of your life to have a solid faith than to see that they saw it with their eyes and you follow the story they, they moved into doubt and disbelief you may be thinking man Eddie if you could just do some cool miracle right now I'd get baptized or I would repent or I would do whatever God wants me to do evidently not Because faith isn't simply what you see. It happens because of of the word of God penetrating your life. You see, what Rahab saw day after day after day probably could be considered proof that there's not a God. Or at least make you be tempted to that. You look at what's going on in our world. What we can see can make you wonder, is there a God? It can lead to doubt. Listen, if, you, if your faith is based upon what you can see, your faith is always going to waver with the circumstances of your life. Before the Hebrew writer in chapter 11 mentions Rahab's faith, before he talks about Rahab and points to her, he gives a working definition of faith. And he says, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's a conviction of things not Seen. And that may seem a little bit not solid. But as we saw with Rahab, it's not a faith based on subjective feelings, but it's based on verifiable historical evidence. Romans chapter 10, most of us know this. Faith comes by hearing. Church, in our mission of reaching the Rahabs of our community, of making disciples of all nations, don't under estimate the heard word of God 
Do not underestimate the power. And all of us can do this. Most of us, or probably none of us here, are good at all kinds of cool miracles. But all of us can tell the story of the gospel. And here's what happens when the story is told and the story is heard. The Holy Spirit takes that and creates faith in those whose hearts are open. And that's what we saw and we see in Rahab. And so because of what Rahab heard and she believed of God, and she had seen or she had heard what he had done in the past, it gave her confidence of what he would do in the future, which was not a very comfortable thing to believe in because she believed and was confident that this God was going to destroy, take out her city and its inhabitants. So this is, a, this is an awkward part of the story. While we have an, an aversion to mentioning fear in association with faith, and I as a preacher in these days and times, I'm not supposed to use fear to motivate people to faith. I want you to notice what motivated Rahab in chapter 2 in verse 9. She says, the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She repeats it in verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Rahab is afraid. She doesn't want to be destroyed in the destruction of of Jericho, and so she pleads with these two, two spies to be saved. Fear was a motivational factor in developing and creating in her into faith. We are adverse to a fear of God, but the Bible is not. You read the whole Bible and this story of the destruction of Jericho, we're going to see that in in chapter 6, it reflects a prophesied that we see in the New Testament, the prophesied destruction of the heavens and earth as we know it today, and the destruction eternally of all those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That actually should cause us to fear. So this fearless theme, whatever we're learning that it means in in Joshua, it, 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 it does involve a healthy fear. A fear to avoid and escape judgment for sin. That's what was playing at work in Rahab's heart. Listen, if you are not a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, honestly, that should cause your heart to be deeply troubled. It did for Rahab, but not just to walk out of here deeply troubled, but it should, it should lead you to the point of action as it did with her. But sure, let's make sure we understand, we don't want it to remain as fear. Certainly, love should, and love for God, that should play a role in pulling us to God. Have you ever paid attention to the words of the song? I hate to admit it, sometimes I, I, I have not noticed this line, and it just came to mind as I was preparing it, even though I've sung this song since... I was a child, amazing grace. You, most of you know these words. We sing the words, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Grace taught me to fear, and grace my fears relieved. See, grace was working 
in both of these ways. It was the grace of God, God's love for her, His grace that awakened Rahab to the coming destruction of Jericho. That taught her to fear. But it was the grace of God that relieved her fears and gave her confidence of being saved of the coming destruction of her city. And therefore, it led her to the point of saying, man, I've got to do something. And that leads us to the third point of Rahab's faith. Rahab's faith was demonstrated by her actions. I have to make this point because that's the main point the New Testament wants us to learn from me. Look in James and look at Hebrews. It says, we know that she was a woman of faith, not because of what we heard her saying and what she said was incredible, but look at her life, Hebrews and James tells us, and you see a woman of faith by her actions. Well, what did she do? First of all, she welcomed the spies into her home, which was taking a huge risk. How did she know that these guys wouldn't kill her? They were, she was to them, their enemy. She was risking her life by harboring these guys for the king of Jericho would find out how did she know he wouldn't kill her as well. She was risking her life for what she believed. That's fearless faith. Let me ask you, do you believe in what you believe so much that you're willing to go to church for it? That's not the question. Do you believe what you believe so much that you are willing to risk your life for it? That's Rahab. And then another thing that you see in Rahab, it's really portrayed by this picture you see of this one pawn. This is a woman who stood alone against everyone else in her culture. And that's not easy. In following Christ, sometimes you find yourself by yourself. It is clear. Our world and our culture is moving further and further away from godly truths and godly principles. And it takes a fearless faith to say, I'm standing my ground, even if I have to stand alone because of what I believe. That was Rahab. There's another thing that we see Rahab did that's very interesting. It was Rahab's faith that caused her not just to think about herself and escaping the judgment in, in Jericho, but it made her think of others. It says in verse, verse 12, when she's pleading with these spies, hey man, can you help me out here? She also speaks that you will you save alive, in verse 13, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. Church, I believe that the current lack of evangelism among followers of Christ, the current lack of evangelism among followers of Christ really makes you wonder, do we believe this? See, Rahab did. How do I know? Because it showed by her actions. Do you really believe this I mean really and does that belief compel you with a fearless courage to share Jesus with others who are lost does your faith on the inside show by your actions on the outside if not your faith is dead Eddie That's harsh. 
I didn't choose that word. When James in chapter 2 is saying, I want you to look at Rahab, those are his words speaking about faith. What do we see in Rahab when we see a fearless faith? We also see that she put her trust and demonstrated her faith by by hanging by the instruction of the spies this scarlet cord in her window. She trusted her promise to her that if you will hang that scarlet cord there when the destruction of Jericho comes, you and all in your household will be saved. How could she be sure of that? She was. And because of her faith, she held on to that promise. Number four, because of that, Rahab's faith was a faith that saved. We're going to see this in chapter six. It's a hard story, and it's going to get even harder after that. We're going to see the story of the fall of Jericho. Everyone, everyone, and everything in Jericho were destroyed taken out, except for Rahab and her family. The only thing standing between Rahab and destruction was a scarlet cord. And her belief holding on to the promise of that cord. In chapter 6 of Joshua, we read that she and her family were then, after after the destruction of Jericho, they were brought into the family of Israel. So you see this, this process is happening. This prostitute became a proselyte. That's a fancy word. A a convert to faith in God and part of the people of God. James tells us of this process in Rahab's life that because of her faith she was made righteous. She was justified before God. Fancy church words that means God forgave her of everything she had ever done. So let me ask again, are there any prostitutes here this morning if yes God wants you to know that regardless what you've done regardless of how bad you've been for how long he longs to forgive you And cleanse you of your guilt and shame if you will only place your faith in him. And that's true for prostitutes. That's true for us all. But this is awesome. It doesn't stop at, you're forgiven, story over. Oh no, that wasn't how Rahab's story is over. Finally, the final point about Rahab's faith. Her faith was a faith that transforms. And you really see this clearly in Matthew chapter 1. As Matthew is showing you the the uh, outline of Jesus' family tree, which is basically an Old Testament story outline. We, you see there Rahab's name, and you learn that Rahab married this guy named Salmon, and, and Salmon and Rahab had this boy, and his name was Boaz, and Boaz married this girl named Ruth, and Boaz and Ruth had this boy named Obed, and Obed got married, and he had a boy named Jesse, and o- Jesse got married, and he had a son named David who became the greatest king in all the history of Israel and you continue in this royal lineage of the Messiah and after David you see the story of king after king after king and in the midst of this royal lineage is the name of Rahab do you see that makes Rahab the prostitute a princess 
That's amazing. That's amazing. It's this process of transformation. I, this is who I am. This is who I'll always be. I'll never change. Wrong. Are there any prostitutes here? Your past doesn't have to control your future. No matter how messed up it is or it was or you have been, there's no one who places their faith and their life in God as Rahab did that would be outside of the chesed of God, the steadfast, loving, kindness, and grace of God to take your life and to forgive it and transform it. That's true for prostitutes and that's true for you. And then you take this this. this family tree in Matthew chapter 1 that's showing you the family of Rahab and you work through it till you finally get to Jesus. That's where it's all leading up to. That's the point I'm supposed to make in the book of Joshua. His name in Hebrew, Yeshua, is Jesus in the New Testament language. The whole point of the story of Joshua is not the history lesson, but it's to point us to Jesus. And so it's really hard not to see this connection of this scarlet cord that Rahab put outside her window and it's covering over her house to protect her and her family of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, uh, of Jericho. It's hard not to see the connection of that story going back to the story of the Passover and the, the blood of the Passover lamb put over the homes of the Israelite families that saved them from destruction. And it's that Passover meal that they celebrated, that Passover lamb that they sacrificed that was all pointing towards Jesus, our Passover lamb. It's a foreshadowing of his sacrifice through which we too can find forgiveness. The only thing standing between you and destruction is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the scarlet blood of Jesus Rahab trusted a promise, these two spies. And, and it's a promise they solidified with these words to her. The men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. We guarantee this promise to you with our lives. Church, that's Jesus' promise to us in reality. My life for yours, even to death. And so we hold on to that promise. And every Sunday, we remember that promise through the taking of the emblems of the Lord's Supper. We take the bread that symbolizes his body. We take the cup that symbolizes his blood. So in a moment, I'm going to ask that you go to the tables that have been prepared here, 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 and here. We have uh, the communion kits here as well. Take the bread, take the cup, hold it. I'm going to say two prayers, one for the bread, then we'll take the bread, one for the cup, then we'll take the cup. If your preference is to remain seated, we have communion kits at the tables here in the very middle or in the back available for you as well. So let me ask again, are there any prostitutes here? I know you don't want to raise your hand, right? Listen, you're welcome at this table. 
We invite you to this sacred meal to place your trust in the promise given by the bloody, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ for your life, that he might take you and forgive you and transform you. And it is God's prayer that in stepping out, taking this with us today, it's a response of your faith moving to him. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.